So this morning, uh, we're going to start a four-week-long series on healing as we go through and uh, look through what God has to say about healing in the Bible. And uh, today, the, the first one is going to be is, is, who is the author of sickness? And then we're going to continue to look at God's healing promises in the Bible. Then we're going to look at uh, the fact that God actually does want you healed. And finally, we're going to look at, at our responsibility in, uh, in healing, our responsibility in this, this whole interaction. So the first thing I want to point out is, is one, is we have to, to become very clear that God is not the author of sickness. God is not the one who, is, who has created sickness in this world, and God is not the one who is, is giving sickness in people's lives. You know, and, and there's so many people that think that, that sickness is a form of punishment because maybe I don't read my Bible enough, God's going to make me sick, or, or I'm not doing the right things, God's making me sick, try to teach me a lesson. And maybe if I go to church more, if I pray more, if I read my Bible more, then, then I won't be sick anymore because this is God doing this to me to punish me or to guide me. And the, and the fact of the matter is, as we look today, you're going to see that God has nothing to do with sickness. And it's the devil who uses sickness in our lives. It's the devil who causes pain and hurt in our lives with sickness. And he's the one that uses these things to try to affect us, to try to turn us away from God, to, to even try to, to blame God. Because if we're blaming God, we're blaming the wrong person. It affects our relationship with him and actually affects our ability to get healed. And that's not to say that, that, uh, that sometimes there's, there's a difference between consequences and, and uh, punishment or and, you know, there's some people that, you know, if you're, if you're doing drugs and you stick a dirty needle in your arm and you, and you get sick, that's the consequence of your decision. That's the consequence of what happened. But it's not God punishing you. And I thank God that even in those situations, even in those situations where, uh, where God is, hello, come on in. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, just a little. We won't tell anybody except for whoever's listening to this being recorded. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so we were just going to start. The next four weeks we're actually going to be doing a series on healing. and uh, So we just, just got started. So... Uh, uh, basically, I just talked about we're not going to be a uh, healing. It's not punishment from God. God's not using healing us to try to guide us or strengthen us. But uh, it's actually the devil that's the author of sickness in our lives. So, uh, uh, and I was just, just talking about the difference between consequences and, and, and punishment. Like I said, if, if you do something like, uh, like, like we just said, doing drugs, and you stick a dirty needle in your arm and you get, you get AIDS or something from that, it's not God punishing you, but that is the consequence of what you've done. But it's the devil using that opportunity to, to deal in your life. But the great news is that even with that, no matter that, that uh, sometimes we do dumb things and cause pain in our lives, God is still faithful and he's still willing to heal us from those situations. And uh, we're just going to continue on looking today that, to show that who is the author of sickness. And, and we'll go ahead and start on our first verse in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him. Now, the first thing I want to point out is God says, Let us make man in our image. And it's kind of an interesting thing because we believe in one God, but we, we believe in the Holy Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's three persons in, this, in the one Godhead. And even in the beginning, when God speaks, he says, let us make man in our image. As, as God the Father begins to speak to, to Jesus and God the Holy Spirit, he says, let us make man in our image. And some people argue that, no, God's not talking to the Trinity. He's talking to other angels. He's talking to his holy council. But the problem with that is, is the Holy Council couldn't be part of us. We could, we're not made in the image of angels. We're not made in the image of, of, of a Holy Council of angels. We're made in the image of God. And then we see that we are made in his image. So in order for, for, for God to, to want to sickness in his life, in order for, for sickness to be the right part of us when we were created, if that was part of God's plan, and us being made in his image, that would mean that God is also subject to sickness. And how many of you ever for a second thought that God might get a cold or a flu 
or, or cancer. I mean, we've never thought that. We know that, that God is perfect and holy, and, and there is no sickness or darkness in him. And if we are made in, in the image of God, that's how we started. That's how, how we were created. Sickness was not a part of our lives in the Garden of Eden. There was no sickness. There was no death. We were made in his image. And being made in his image means that, that even though maybe imperfectly or finitely, but we, we share in the nature that is his. You know, we share in his life, his personality, his truth. We share in his wisdom and love and holiness and justice. And, and when we were made, when man was made in that perfect image of God with no past, he was made perfect and pure and holy. He was made without sin, without sickness, without blemish in order that he could have a relationship with God. And the truth is that when Adam sinned, when Adam took that bite of the fruit, that's when we lost all that. And we're going to look and see that that's where sickness entered into to our lives as men and women. So if we go to the next verse, we're going to look at Genesis 128 through 31. And it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which is the fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. I want to point out here, it says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, when God first created the earth, he made everything in the earth, and he says, everything is good. And how many of you woke up in the morning and went, oh, I got a sinus infection. This is great. This is very good. However, who's, who's heard of a, of a relative that's gotten cancer and went, that's awesome. I'm so excited for them because cancer is awesome. I mean, that, that would be ridiculous for anybody to think that way. I mean, we would actually, I mean, you almost want to punch somebody in the face that said something like that. Cancer is awesome. I mean, that, would, that, that insults your, your very being that someone would think that way. But God looked at all the earth, and he saw everything that he had created. He created the, the birds and the trees and the fish and the sun and the moon and, and the, the mountains and the oceans. He created everything, and he said it was very good. There was nothing on this earth that was like sickness. And then on top of that, say God did create sickness, which we've already established that he hasn't. But it says that... Uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were created to rule and reign on this earth. Now, if we have all authority over everything, God has given us authority over the earth and we saw sickness. I mean, if you had the authority right now to, to get rid of cancer and, and diabetes and AIDS and all these, would you do it? If you were given that rule and authority, wouldn't you go ahead and destroy those evil things in this world? Well, when we were put on this earth in the Garden of Eden, we actually had that rule and authority. It says that we were to rule over the fish of the sea and over every living thing that moves on earth. We had that authority. And if, if there was sickness on the earth, man would have taken care of it right now. And then finally, once again back here, it says, Behold, it was very good. When you look through the creation story, we see that, that as God created things on each day, when he created the, the light and he created the, stuff from, uh, the, the earth from the void and when he created plants and animals, every time he did that, he said, and God saw that it was good. God created the sun and the moon and the stars and God saw that it was good. He created the oceans and the, the, uh, the mountains and the land and God saw that it was good. He created the plants and animals and God saw that it was good. But right after he created us, right after created man, he says, behold, it was very good. God has a high place, a high esteem for us in our hearts. God loves us with everything that he has. And when everything else in the world that he created he said was good, he says that we are very good. And I want you to know that as a God who loves you, I mean, would you, would you do that to your kids? Would you give them something that would hurt them? Would you do something to them for that? And I think the answer is no for all of us. We're not out to hurt our kids. We're not going to do that stuff. And, and we love our kids. And God does the same thing. Amen? So, so where did sickness and death enter into this world? Where did it come from? 
Because obviously, if it wasn't created in the beginning, it had to come from somewhere. It had to start somewhere. So God gives this warning to, to, to Adam and Eve. He says, And the Lord God took the man and, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Before man ate from the, garden, from the, from the tree of good and evil, there was no death. But as soon as he ate from the, from the garden, then death was introduced. There was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no death in the Garden of Eden. Matter of fact, as he told us the world to, to be fruitful and multiply, as, as man were to, to grow and, and continue to multiply, we would have all lived forever. But then Adam and his wife, they go ahead and they, they eat from this tree, and that's when it enters. And in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we find that this, the, the serpent, the snake, was actually the devil operating, and he began to deceive Eve, and we find that even in our own lives, that's the devil's greatest tactic to attack us in our lives is through deception. He tells you one thing, making things look different than, than what they are, and, you, and you, you partake in what he's trying to trick you and deceive you, and you find out that it's not really that way at all. But that was the devil behind that, the, the deception and questioning their identity, questioning who they are. And I've often asked myself, well, why the tree then? Why, why even put the... God, I mean, God, God knew this was going to happen. God is, is all-knowing. He knows everything that's going on. He knew this was going to happen. So why the tree? Why, why put it in the garden? Has anybody else thought that? Question, wondered that? And we, and we, we look, it's because God did not want to create a, a race of robots. I mean, he could have... He made everything that we do according to a program and, and we had no choice in what we've done. But with your spouse, if your spouse was forced to love you, if they had no choice, what kind of relationship would you have? I mean, it's like, it would be like going and buying one of those, those robots they're making in Japan now that's programmed to do whatever you want. What kind of relationship is that when, when there is no choice or when, when men, and the, or men kidnap young girls and they force them into a relationship and, and force them to tell them they love them and they, they kidnap and, and abuse them? They're looking for a relationship that can't be had in that kind of situation. And, and the same thing is here. God does not want a, a robot, robotic rela he, a relationship with us. He wanted to give us the opportunity to choose, give us the opportunity to love him with our own heart. And that's what we see here. But even still, even after the fall, God shows us great mercy. And it's almost what we almost look at it as a punishment. We think of it as a, as a punishment, but God actually showed mercy. And Genesis 3.22, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, and, and so quickly we think that that's their punishment. They're put out into the world to be punished for what they've done. But God is actually showing us great mercy because he knew that after we had death introduced into our life, we had that, that curse in our lives after that, that if we ate of the tree of life, then we would live forever in that condition, live forever separated from God without fellowship with him. And God didn't want that. He knew that he had to get us out of the garden so we didn't have that opportunity. But as we can see here, that, that the beginning of the death, the beginning of the sickness, all started with Satan tempting Eve and, and, and ultimately Adam eating in the garden, causing that to, to happen for us in our life. And then in Revelations 21.4, it says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, the first things have passed away. So we look at the Garden of Eden when God created it. There was no sickness, and then it was introduced by Satan. And now we look at heaven. This is a glimpse of what heaven's like. 
And it says he wipes away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. In heaven there is no sickness. There is no death. And Jesus even says, pray that your will on earth will be done as it is in heaven. We see God's will in heaven. And it's not happening on earth right now because of the fall. But this is another example of... of uh, of God not using sickness. If sickness was a part of God's plan, if sickness was good in what he used, we would see it being used in heaven as well. And we can take great uh, 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 comfort in this. There's, I was reading uh, a guy, he says, I'm a tremendous sports fan. He says, since many sporting events take place when I am not at home, I videotape them. And when it's time to sit in my easy chair and view the tape, unlike most people, I don't rewind to the beginning to view it. Instead, I rewind to the climax to discover who won and who lost. If my team lost, I'll put the tape away. But if my team won, I'll rewind the game back to the beginning and get out some snacks and watch the whole game. And that's kind of a, it's a strange way to watch sports. I mean, you're like, man, what's this guy thinking? But in much the same way, we can turn to the back of the book and we see that we've won. We can see that, that there's going to be a time when there's absolutely no sickness and no pain. And that can give us great comfort knowing that, that we can live our life kind of with that VCR, that recorded mentality. We can live our life thinking that you know, we, we may go through stuff in our life, but we know the end of the game. We know that we win. And we can have, take great comfort in that. You know, and I remember one time, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, uh, Jehovah's Witness came to my door, as they often do, and, and they like to preach from the book of Revelation. They like to try to show you, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and look, these are all the signs in Revelation. And I, and I, I you know, I, I quoted what I heard someone say to me once, and I said, oh, I'm not worried. You've read the book of Revelation? I'm like, yeah, I've read it. I read the end of the book, and we win. And that's just a, a great comfort to me to know no matter what happens, no matter what we're going to in this life, that that we win. Amen? So now we're going to look at some places in the Bible where it talks specifically about what causes sickness. In Luke 13, 10 through 13, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called to her over and he called her over and said to her, "Woman, you are freed from your sickness." And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And we find here that she had the sickness caused by a spirit. In this case, that sickness was actually caused by a spirit or a demon living inside of her. And the truth is, not all sicknesses are caused by, by spirits and demons, but, but many are. And it's, it's the devil at work in our lives. And in this particular case, this, this spirit was forcing her to be bent doubled over. She couldn't even straighten up. This spirit had such an impact on our life that she couldn't even raise her eyes to God. She couldn't even raise her eyes to the heaven and, and, and begin to speak to God. And there's so often that while we may not physically let this happen, we see this happening in our lives uh, as doing the same thing with us. I know my, my father, my, my father passed away just a little over a year ago, a year and a few weeks now, I think, uh, from pancreatic cancer. When they, they found the cancer in him, he, uh, they went in to do some surgery. They thought that they could go in there and take it out. But once they opened him up, they realized that it was already stage four, that at this point, there was nothing they could do. They sewed him back up and they began trying chemo and other things. And eventually, after about a year, year and a half of fighting, he eventually said, I'm done. You know, I'm going to go be with Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of fighting this. And, and he passed away. But it really affected my sister. And she was very hurt that God would, would uh, do this to, to our dad, that God would, would cause this to happen, and why didn't he heal her, and, and why is all this stuff happening? And she was very angry and upset at him. And this sickness wasn't even hers, but in much the same way, it had her bent over double, that she couldn't put her eyes on Jesus. She couldn't focus on the Lord. It actually uh, spiritually did the same thing to her as this, this physically did to that woman. You know, and, and, and I believe 100% that God wanted to heal my dad, and he would have healed my dad. But there's uh, an element that we'll talk about, about receiving healing uh, in a later service. But I, I have no doubt 
that healing was was for my dad, just like it is for anybody else. And I also have no doubt that God still loved him, and I, and I, I don't think for a second that God was punishing my dad or trying to teach him a lesson. Because I can look through Scripture, and I don't find that anywhere. But we have to be careful that we don't let these things that happen in our life bend us over double and take our eyes off Jesus, because that's exactly what the devil wants. The devil wants to distract you from, from God. He wants you to put the blame on God. If you blame God for what's happening, you can't receive anything from him. But I thank God in this story, Jesus saw her and he called her over. You know, for those of us that don't know Jesus, for, for maybe friends and family, or Jesus is calling to them. Jesus wants to heal them. He, he wants them to come over so he can say, you are freed from your sickness. You are freed from the bondage and sin that you are, and you are freed from everything that's attacking your life. And then it says, he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. You know, she was made erect again, and she was able to look at God again, and immediately her focus is on him, her focus is on Jesus, and she's freed from bondage, she's freed from this sickness and this evil spirit, and she has the opportunity to glorify God again. So one thing that I would remind you is if you are have sickness or you're dealing with that is, is always keep your eyes on Jesus, always keep uh, glorifying him and give him glory. You know, the Bible says that in everything we give thanks. It doesn't say for everything we give thanks, because that would be ridiculous. We're not going to thank God that we're sick or we're hurting or, or that money's tight or for any of those things. But in spite of what's going on, we're going to thank God because we know he is true and we know that he loves us and that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And then continuing on in this story, it says, But the synagogue official in, Dig in, sorry, in Luke 13, 14 through 16 it says, but the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, begins saying to the crowd in response. You know, isn't it funny what religion will do? Religion takes traditions and everything that's happened and actually will, will scorn the work of God. Jesus just healed this woman from, from demon possession that was causing her incredible pain and sickness and, and taking away her ability to, to worship God. And the synagogue officials are indignant because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. How dare you give somebody life on the Sabbath? And it says, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine God turning someone away because it's not the right day? It's not the right time? But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. You know, Jesus then points out that, that not only was this a spirit of demon daughter, but this was Satan that was at work here. It had bound her for 18 years like that. It says, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? You know, and it says, in this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, Jesus begins to speak to her identity. At this time, Jesus had not died and risen yet, so they weren't being identified as Christians, but as, as sons and daughters of Abraham. And he's saying that she's a daughter of Abraham. She's a Jew. She's loved by God. Why do you think she doesn't deserve to be healed? You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey? He's trying to let them know that you're, you're taking the... The, you know, the letter of the law versus the spirit of law, you're taking what God intending and turning it into something awful that you won't even let someone be healed. You know, we find in a different case in Mark 3, 1 through 4, it says, He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Once again, religion is waiting to accuse Jesus for doing something that's against their traditions. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the, save, on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. Once again, Jesus is saying, What should I do? Should we kill or should we give life on the Sabbath? You know, we, we, we watch Jesus and we see that Jesus said that I only do what I see the Father doing. And we see that that. Jesus did not want these people sick or held in bondage, but he wanted them healed. And we see that, that Satan is causing this stuff in these particular people's lives. 
and we have to be careful because we do it these days too. I mean, how easy it is to think when we see somebody going through a tough time, how quick and how easy it is for us to go, oh, they must have been doing something they shouldn't be doing. Even, even ourselves, we can do that quickly. And we have to be very careful of that because it's not, it's not God trying to teach them, to teach them a lesson. There's, there's a devil that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen? And then in Acts 10.38, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here we see that he was healing all who were oppressed by the devil. We begin to find that, that people that are sick are, are being oppressed by the devil. It doesn't say he was healing people that God was trying to teach a lesson. If they, would only, if they would only come to the synagogue a little more often, or if they would just tithe a little bit more, he was healing those people once they straightened their lives out. But he says, no, he says he was healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. And we see that this is actually God's plan, is to destroy the works of the devil and give life to those who are following Jesus. Then we continue on to Matthew 12, 23 through 28. And in verse 22 it says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Then this kingdom of God has come upon you. So once again we find that Jesus' identity is questioned. It says, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Who is this guy that thinks he can cast out demons? You know, the devil's going to do that in your life as well. He's going to begin to question who you are when you're going through tough spots. So begin to say, who are you that you think that you should be healed by God? Who are you that you think that you should be loved by God? You know, and, and the truth is that, that that's the devil's scheme. That's his plan of attack. That's what he wants to do to get you to turn your eyes away from Jesus. And this, and, uh, but then Jesus, in his wisdom, he says, listen, guys, you think that I'm casting out demons by the power of demons? That doesn't make any sense. Have you ever seen uh, any great war that was fought by the armies fighting themselves? If, if an army fights itself, it'll fall. It begins to even say that, that if a family stands against himself and is divided, a family will fall. You know, if you have a, a, a husband and a wife and they, they have two completely ideal ideologies and, and many of the, the big ones are in money or raising their children or, or religion, that if they're completely different, if they stand against each other, the, the chances for divorce are incredibly high. And in the same way, when a, when a house is divided, it'll fall. So in the very same, same argument, we can make that if, if uh, sickness was part of God's plan, then it would be foolish for Jesus to cast out the sickness if the people haven't learned their lesson, just to make them well again, to show them that God loved them, because that would be God's kingdom standing divided. But the truth is that God doesn't want us sick. He doesn't want us in pain. It's the devil that does. <clears throat> and then... The last thing that I want to look at is that the only time you ever see some trick like this being used, you know, when, when, when uh, something is set up, you see it in the movies all the time, you know, we're going to uh, uh, kill their family and then we'll go in and, and begin to raise them like our own children as they, they sneak in deceptively doing something terrible so that they can come in and do something great and look good. It's always used as a deception. But it's never used to the end of, of, a, of a kingdom continuing on and fighting on. And we know that, that God is, is not going to be fighting himself. And we see in Jesus what God's heart and mind is, and that is to heal all who came to him. Amen. And in Hebrews two fourteen through 15, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So who has the power of death? God or the devil? Pretty clearly here that the devil is the one that uses the power of death. And then it goes on to say, and might free those who through fear of death 
were subject to slavery all of their lives. Fear is such a powerful thing, and it is a tool that the enemy uses greatly and often. And I was, I was reading that, that it's, uh, you may have heard it, the, 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 the phrase, you know, I was scared to death. But there's actually truth in that, in that phrase. And I was reading some case studies. There was a, uh, in January 17, 1994, in Northridge, Los Angeles, earthquake. It says over 100 Californians literally died of fright, according to Robert Cloner, who was a cardiologist at the Good Samaritan Hospital in L.A., says his research showed that excessive fear can cause sudden cardiac death and in many cases terrorized brain triggers uh, in many in pardon me in many cases the terrorized brain triggers the release of a mix of chemicals so potent that it causes the heart to contract so fiercely it never relaxes again they're literally scared to death and in a Cleveland study, it says the coroner studied the hearts of 15 assault victims who died even though their assailants had not wounded them badly enough to fatally injure their internal organs. It says the chief medical officer of New York City confirmed that 11 of the 15 had torn fibers and lesions in their hearts that were caused by mortal fear. And then finally, there was a, uh, a neurologist in Harvard Medical School in Boston who said that in research of his area, they have cats that come across a field mouse in the field, and, and oftentimes the cat just puts its foot on its tails and bats the mouse around a little bit. doesn't really do any damage to the mouse. And then the mouse dies from, from cardiac arrest. It's literally scared to death, and it's actually quite common in the animal kingdom. But we see this pattern that the devil uses fear in our lives. He has the power of death. And and the truth is that same fear, that fear that can be bred in us through sickness as, he, as we're concerned about what will happen when we die if we get sick or, or uh, uh, just that fear that he's given us through sickness is equally dangerous to our spiritual life as well. If you, if you focus on that fear and you let it fester and you don't remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and love and of sound mind, that can actually fester and, and cause uh, a, a death or a decay in your spiritual life as well as in your physical health. But the power of death is to the devil and the devil alone. God will never use that to try to teach you something, to try to, to encourage you to, to read your Bible more or, or anything like that. God is not using those things in our lives. And then I call this one, we are not disciplined by sickness. You know, how many of us with children would be like, I'm really going to teach my kid a lesson. They can't, they can't uh, pick up the room on time. I think I'll give them cancer. That'll teach them. And when they finally start cleaning their room, then, then we'll see about getting rid of the cancer. I mean, would any of you ever think like that? Maybe we'll give them, we'll give them AIDS because they're, uh, they're, they're not coming home when they're supposed to be coming home. I mean, that's just silliness. We, we think about this stuff and... And we would never think that we would do that as parents. You've, that's just absurd. I mean, it's not even, it actually hasn't ever crossed your mind because it's that ridiculous. But you know how many people have the same thoughts about God, their father? They think that even uh, great men and women of God that you've known that have done incredible things for the kingdom of God have been deceived into thinking that God was causing something in their life so that they would begin to reach more people or do these other things. It's, it's an absurd thought when we think about it with our children, but it's so easy to go, oh, but that's God trying to teach me a lesson. But I want you to know that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you have Jesus in your heart, you've been made righteous. You've been made pure and holy. We are right with God by the blood of the Lamb because of Jesus. If you are right with God, God has no reason to punish you. You know, the, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus has made us perfect and holy and without blame. God is not going to punish someone who's holy because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, and there is no reason to punish him. In the same way, when we, we look at you know, all these natural disasters and people think that, oh, God's trying to, uh, God's trying to, you remember when we had the, the hurricane in New Orleans and it wiped out almost all of New Orleans and, oh, God's trying to teach New Orleans a lesson because they're in the Mardi Gras district. They do so much bad things. First off, if that was a punishment, my God, he's got terrible aim because the Mardi Gras district is one of the sections that actually made it through that hurricane almost unscathed. But 
God doesn't use these kind of things to teach us a lesson. I want you to know that sin has been taken care of. It's when Jesus died on the cross, he says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means while we were still sinners, before we had been saved, Christ died for everybody. Sin is taken care of. Sin is dealt with. God is not dealing with sin on this earth anymore because Jesus paid for it. Now, there are still consequences, like I talked about earlier, for sin, but it's not punishment from God. It's much like, you know, if you tell your kid to not touch the hot stove, and they touch the hot stove and burn themselves, you didn't punish them by burning them. That wasn't you that punished them. That was the consequence of their action. Sometimes we have that in our life when we do stuff that God says, hey, you really shouldn't be doing that. He doesn't tell us to take away our fun or to make life harder for us. He tells us because if you touch the stove, you might get burned. And it's not punishment, but it's definitely a consequence for what we did. And then in John, 1 John 4.17, it says, By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. First off, having confidence in the day of judgment. We can stand before God confident that what Jesus did was enough. We don't have to go to God you know, with the to God wondering if that one sin that we did was so bad, that one thing that we did was so awful that maybe Jesus didn't take care of it. We don't have to go there with just in the back of our mind, well, maybe God will look over that one because we can go in confidence that Jesus took care of it all. And it says, because as he is, so how was he? How was, how was Jesus? Jesus was without sin. He was one with God. He was righteous. He was holy. He was the son of God. Perfect. And it says, so also are we in this world. When you have Jesus in your heart, you are the same as Jesus. You are pure. You are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect. God looks at you and he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son who lived a perfect life. Amen? And because of that, we can have confidence in the day of judgment. So... If you're familiar with the Bible, there's probably a few stories in the Bible where you're like, well, I've seen some stuff in the Bible where it makes it look like God's using sickness to, to teach somebody a lesson. So let's take a look at a couple of those, and, uh, and we'll just work through them and, and see what, what God's really saying in these, these situations. Now this one, the first one that we're going to look at in John 9, 1 through 5, when I tell people that God doesn't use sickness as a tool to punish people or to guide people. This is one that's almost always brought up. What about this scripture? And it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you just read that, it looks like it says, It wasn't this man nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him, he was made crippled. Now, the problem with that is, is, Pastor Wayne, you just said that God doesn't use sickness, but this right here says that so that the works of God might be displayed in him, he was born blind. He was crippled in his eyes. He couldn't see. But the problem with this verse, as we read it, how it lies, is that there was somebody in a white coat somewhere that translated this, and they thought that this is what was being said. So let's point out a couple things. In your Bible, when you look at this, you're going to find that this phrase right here, it was, it was, in my Bible, it's, I use the New American Standard, it's in, it's in uh, italics. And what that means is, is that that's not actually in the Greek translation, it's added so it makes sense to us. It's adding verb tense so it makes sense to us. Another thing you have to know about the original Greek is that they didn't use punctuation and everything was in all caps. It would actually look like one big giant run-on sentence, you know, being yelled. So, all caps no punctuation, there was no verse numbers. You know, the, the verse numbers and the chapter numbers, that's something that, that we added later to make it easier to find scripture. So let's take a look at this in light of that with no punctuation, all cap letters, no verse numbers, and we're going to take out the stuff that they added in. So, and we know that we added the punctuation later for us. So let's, let's take a look at that. It says, And his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, We'll get rid of the it was. Neither this man sinned nor his parents. What if instead of a quotation mark or a, a, a what's that called? 
semicolon. Wow, can't believe I blinked on that. What if instead of a semicolon, we put a period there? Let's end the thought there. It was neither this man's sin nor his parents. Get rid of the it was, because that's not actually in the Greek. But so that the works of God might be displayed in him, comma, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Changes the whole meaning of what is being said there. So why do I make those changes? Why do I believe that's the way it should be translated? Because every other verse in Scripture shows Jesus healing people. It shows Jesus making their life whole. And we know that Jesus is the perfect realization of God's will. He says, I only do as I see the Father doing. If everywhere else in the Bible it shows God healing and not causing sickness, God healing and not causing sickness, then why would we take one verse and, and change it to make it different than all the rest? So, it was neither this man's sin nor his parents, period. Next thought. But so that the works of God might be displayed in him, comma, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus wasn't saying that God caused this. But Jesus was saying that, hey, it wasn't him or his parents. Something, you know, sometimes things just happen. Or maybe the devil's at work in his life. But so that we can do the work of God, do the work of him who is sending me, let's go ahead and heal him. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's go to the next one. It's a, a big common one where, where God is using sickness to influence someone's life. And this one is, is uh, God using sickness to influence Paul's life. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong." So in this area, many people have, have argued that when he's talking about a, a messenger of Satan to torment me, a thorn in the flesh, is they argue that Paul had an eye sickness. And the reason they did that, if we go to, to Galatians 4.15, he says, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eye and given them to me. You know, people say, well, Paul must have had an eye sickness because... You know, he told the Galatians that you would have given me your eye. So obviously his eye was bad, or they wouldn't have had to give him his eye. But the truth is, Paul was just saying, like, have you ever heard someone say, if I could, I would give you my, I would give you my left kidney? It doesn't mean you necessarily need a kidney. What he's saying is that you guys would have done anything for me. You know, you could have, you could have done... You would have done anything for me. You'd have given me your left leg if you could. You'd have given me your you'd have plucked out your eye and given it to me if I needed it. That's all Paul was saying. It was it was an expression. It had nothing to do with him actually having an eye sickness. So let's go back to Second Corinthians twelve, seven through ten. And he says that there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. And you gotta imagine Paul has been given more revelation of the kingdom of God than anybody has in an incredibly long time. It would have been so easy for him to boast in all his strengths and, and God chose me to do this and I am so good that God picked me out to do this. And It would have been so easy for, for God to use Paul's strengths to, to relay this message. But Paul says that our God told Paul, my power is perfected in weakness. You know, the truth is that God doesn't use the, the mighty and the powerful in this world to reach people. He uses normal people like you and I that, that may not be able to speak well. You know, Moses had a stutter, but God picked Moses and he was a murderer. And, and, and we find that, that David was, was the smallest of all his brothers, and, and, uh, but God picked him. God doesn't pick the people that we would expect. And a lot of that is because if you had all that influence, it would be so easy for you to say it was me that was doing it and not God. And that's what, that's what Paul's dealing with here, is that, that God was using him and his weaknesses to, to be used by him so that he could never say it was me, it was always God. So what were those weaknesses that he was dealing with? 
Well, he says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. You know, this thorn in the flesh that Paul had was people. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked. He was stoned multiple times. He was drug out in the street, left for dead. He had 39 lashes multiple times. He was in prison. And I was, I mean, Paul was, Paul's thorn in the flesh was people that were coming up against him. And he says, but I, I'm well content with that because for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a, the verse that, you know, that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I am, for, for I am weak, but he is strong. It's actually misquoting this verse. That verse doesn't say, I am weak, God is strong. It says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In your weaknesses, you are strong in Christ. Christ can work through you in your weaknesses, and all the glory goes to him. So, for me, it seems kind of obvious that when he's talking about his thorn in the flesh, and he comes down here and talks about insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties, that it's people affecting him. But it's, it's so common, or whenever we can, we should use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So let's go take a look at this, this word, thorn of the flesh. How is it used in the Bible? In Numbers 33.55, it says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. Now, this is when God commanded Moses to drive all of the people out of the land of Canaan, destroy all their carved and molten images, and demolish their pagan shrines. And basically he says, if you don't drive them out, what will they become? They'll become thorns in your sides. That's the, that language used, the same language that Paul uses, a thorn in the flesh. And then in Joshua 23, 13, it says, Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and a thorn in your eyes until you perish them off, this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Once again, God's driven out the enemies of the Israelites and given them the land to them. But it's, this is a warning saying, don't assimilate into the culture. Don't let them influence who you are because if they do, There'll be a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Once again, the word, the thorn is being referred to people. And therefore I also said, I will not drive, I'm sorry, in Judges 2, 3, therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will snare you. And this is, this is an angel of the Lord speaking to the Israelites, and it says, don't make covenants with the people of the land God had promised them, and to to destroy their altars, but it turns out that they disobeyed. They, they let the people of the land into their lives, and he says, because you did that, I'm not going to drive them out. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be snares to you. If we let the Bible interpret the Bible, we see that this thorn in the flesh was people that were persecuting Paul. It was the people that were persecuting the church of Christ. It wasn't a sickness that he had. It wasn't an eye illness that God was trying to use to teach them a lesson. God does not use sickness in our bodies to try to teach us lessons. Sickness is of the devil. It is not of God. Amen? And then we'll look in John 10.10, and we're coming into a close here pretty soon. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Sickness and disease are always the work of the devil. If it causes pain, if it causes sickness, if it causes anything that would cause you harm, malcontent, dissatisfaction, anything like that, it's from the devil. Jesus said, I came that they might have a life and have it more abundantly. Nobody has ever woken up with the flu and said, this is, this is life abundant. I'm so excited. No one's ever woken up with diarrhea and said, this is great. I can't wait for another awesome day. No one's ever woken up with cancer and said, man, I can't wait to live life like this through, the, through this pain and sickness. You know, that's, that's not life abundantly, and that's not what God wants for your life. But it's the enemy that comes to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy comes to steal your joy. He comes to steal your wholeness. He wants to kill you. The devil wants nothing more than for you to die and spend eternity in hell with him. And any way that he can do that to convince you to turn away from God, even if that means making you believe that God's causing your sickness and deceiving you into thinking that, he will because he wants to kill and destroy you. But God wants you to have life. God wants you whole. 
And the last verse we're going to look at is in James 1.17 and in 1 John 1, 1.5, the last two. It says, every good thing, and in James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. Every good gift comes from God. If it's a bad gift, if you can anyway think that it's not good for you, it's causing you pain or harm, it's not from God. And it says there is no variation or no shifting shadow. What that's saying is that, that we can look at God and know what he wants. It's not one day or with one people he's going to use this to teach. He's going to use sickness to teach these people a lesson, but, but not for us. There's no variation. There's no shifting of shadows. God does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And every good gift is from him, and every bad gift is not. That's from the devil. And in 1 John 1-5 through 5 it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's a, a different metaphor for the same thing. God is light. He's pure and holy. And I love this, this light metaphor. I love using light because we don't have dark lights. We have flashlights. You can't create darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. You know, when you take a flashlight and turn it on, light run or darkness runs from the light. And we have that same light of God inside of us. And if we will just put our faith in that and let it shine through us, any darkness, any sickness, anything that is of the devil will be forced to flee. Because darkness is always exposed in the light. Darkness is always sent running. There's no way to increase darkness except for by removing light. But if you let God's light shine through you, then you'll begin to begin to experience the wholeness and healing that God wants for your life. But today, you know, I, I just hope that, that going through this message, we begin to see that there is no circumstance, there is no possibility, there is no time that God has ever used sickness and given somebody sickness to, to make them obey or to make them do something. Sickness is always a, uh, a tool of the devil, whether it's him doing it uh, specifically or actively or it's, it's, a, it's a result of the fall. Sickness was always the tool of the devil and it's never from God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.